Welcome to the Take the Cake podcast. I am your host, Kate Noel, and I am so happy you're here. My mission is to inspire you to be the best version of yourself by truly honoring what your mind, body, and soul want and need. Here, we talk about everything and anything, wellness, recovery, lifestyle stuff, lots more. Thank you so much for being here, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, beauties. Welcome back to the Take the Cake podcast. Today, I interviewed Ali Bonner, who is the founder of Oat Haas, which is famous for their granola butter. That's right, granola butter. If you haven't heard of it yet, just get ready. It's very good. Um, But we talk about how she started a food business uh, with the history of having body image issues and binge eating issues and emotional eating issues. We talk about her recovery journey and her entrepreneurship journey and how those meshed together. Um, she's really honest and real in this conversation, and she's just she's just such a, such a real girl. You know, she really shares the nitty gritty, and it's so inspiring to hear from somebody who's so open like she is. She's also a podcast host herself. Her podcast is called Alleycast, and she just has amazing recipes on her Instagram feed. Like they're all just so beautiful looking and so delicious. So we also talk about alcohol during recovery and her relationship with alcohol as well as my relationship with alcohol. We talk about her granola butter, her entrepreneurship journey. We talk about triggering parents and like going home to your childhood house and like dealing with parents or even if you live with your parents, how to kind of deal with that. We also talk about body image advice. So she gives us some of her top really important body image advice, sort of nuggets of information. And it's just an overall really inspiring episode. So thank you so, so much for tuning in. If you have been listening for a while, I would so, so appreciate you leaving me a rating and a review if it aligns with you. It's the best way to support this podcast. And without further ado, here is my interview with Allie. I hope that you enjoy. We have Allie here on Take the Cake. I'm so excited to talk to you. You've been on my radar. You've been on my list for a while. So let's just start by you telling me how you entered into, I guess, the wellness space is what I would call it, and just how you entered into this social media wellness sphere. Yes, the sphere. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Um, Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. Um, I feel like our stories, too, are, I mean, everyone who's had, I feel like, somewhat of a struggle with food and their body. It's, you know, the stories are very similar, but, um, different in, in many other ways too. But yeah, I mean, my journey into the wellness sphere, I feel like was one that really started from a place of fear. And, um, I was never passionate about nutrition for the right reasons, I would say. So I think there's tons of people that, you know, are really into nutrition and eating, you know, quote unquote healthy and, you know, fueling their body with nutrient dense foods. And it's all from a place of love, which I think, you know, obviously is a great balanced place to be in. But for me, it really came from a place of number one, not wanting to gain weight. Right. And number two, just sort of this fear of, you know, what would happen if I ate unhealthy food. So I really struggled with orthorexia. That was a big part of my journey. Um, and so I guess kind of backpedaling, you know, I grew up in San Diego. Um, I played volleyball growing up. So lots of like 
tiny little spandex shorts just to paint the narrative. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I was always just very type A, very hard on myself. And so a lot of people, you know, that I've talked to have really had some sort of issue with maybe it's their parent or a friend making a comment about their body. And I never had that, you know, I never had anyone really making an, an, a comment about how I looked. I grew up very athletic and I was, you know, never overweight or at a higher weight. Um, but it was really just this inner drive for perfection. And I just thought that, you know, the smaller, the better, the thinner, the better. Um, and I think a lot of that came from the messaging that was really ingrained in me from an early age, just with society and, you know, watching America's next top model and reading magazines as I'm sure, you know, you can relate to, um, being in the industry. And so, and like, it was the time of like Nicole Richie and Paris Hilton, if you remember, and like Lindsay Lohan, when they were just like, you know, doing tons of blow and partying and just like rail thin, like that was very glamorized during, uh, when I was growing up, I'm 28 now. Um, and then also Tumblr and like a lot of those thin spo accounts too. And so that was really, you know, wellness wasn't really a thing. As you know, when we were growing up, it was more just like this emphasis on being thin. Um, and so, as I mentioned, you know, I started really not from a place of counting my calories, but I actually feel like I was kind of ahead of my time back then because I was really focusing on, you know, first I was vegan and then I was trying to do like raw vegan and all these different things. And I was really obsessed with like the, the quality of my food, um, which sounds great, you know, maybe to an outsider, but it came from this almost, you know, almost OCD mindset of just, you know, I would, it would ruin my entire day if I had one little, you know, crumb of a cookie or something that I deemed, you know, not clean. And so I ended up studying nutrition, um, in college. I went to UC Berkeley up in the Bay area and just studied nutrition as my undergrad. And again, like it wasn't for the right reasons. It was really just this, you know, I thought the more that I learned about nutrition, maybe, you know, it would unlock this key for me to lose weight and to get to this perfect body. Um, and so I just started accumulating more and more information about nutrition and it just sent me further down to this spiral of, you know, this obsession. So long story short, you know, all through college, I feel like I was very up and down with my relationship with food. I feel like there were actually moments during college where I felt pretty, you know, maybe I was distracted by school or, um, I was sort of just allowing myself to let loose for a bit, but then, you know, I would notice my weight creep up. And then of course it's sort of that binge restrict cycle. And this entire time I was drinking a ton. So I really abused alcohol a lot in college. Um, I was in a secret drinking society even, um, and just, you know, was almost getting hazed sort of like frat, frat style. Um, and so was blacking out a lot. And, you know, during that time I was binge eating when I was drunk. And so a lot of the, just to compensate, you know, I would, um, I sort of purged through exercise. So tried to, you know, make myself throw up many times and never really was successful. So sort of wrote off like, oh, like I can't do it or bulimia is not really for me um, during that time. But I really abused exercise and would just sort of restrict my food and eat quote unquote super clean for the following, you know, week after my weekend. And then it would start again on the weekend. So um, what's really interesting too is, you know, during this time I looked the same as I do now. Like, I mean, I was even maybe at a higher weight than I am now because of, you know, and people, that's what I really want to touch on too. And I talk about a lot on my page is like, you know, there's no look to having an eating disorder. So no one knew that I was struggling with all of this. Like people, you know, I was partying, I was social, I was, you know, really good at hiding it with my, I lived in a sorority house. So I was super good at hiding it from my roommates. Um, and then I didn't look underweight or frail to, you know, 
kind of the general stereotype of what we think, right. As someone who has an eating disorder. So I think that was a huge issue as well that just perpetuated it and caused it to just go on for much longer than it needed to, because number one, people didn't know. And number two, I didn't think I was sick enough to deserve treatment or to seek help. Um, so finally actually ended up, you know, seeking help and, and treatment. Um, and that was a few years out after college. So I was living in San Francisco, working in tech. And I just came to this place where I was like, I just mentally, I was so sick of the headspace that thinking about food took up. So it wasn't even really, I was so over like chasing this number and, you know, trying to get to a lower weight. Like I, I was just like, that doesn't even matter to me anymore. Like, I just want my headspace back. I want to go to dinner with friends and I don't want to, you know, frantically scan the menu for the healthiest item. I don't want to be thinking about every little calorie. Um, I was just exhausted, honestly. And so finally reached out to a woman. Um, I didn't do any sort of like inpatient or outpatient, um, treatment, but really she was just a, um, therapist and she, you know, specialized in, um, intuitive eating and food freedom. And even that, I mean, she helped me so much. I worked with her for about six months, um, and then did a few other, you know, stints after that for a few months at a time, but that was really sort of the, the start of my recovery journey. Um, so sorry, that was very long-winded, but (laughs) I feel like it's hard to really encapsulate in like a short, um, story. I know what it's like. And that was, a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing. I actually really, I've never connected the alcohol partying in college with anyone else I've ever talked to that had an eating disorder except for you. So oh, I was yeah. like zoned in when you were talking because I struggled. I mean, I struggled throughout, I would say as early as middle school, but all the way through high school and through college, I went to college for two years. I went to Indiana university. So another really big party school yeah. and same with, same with you. I mean, I, I was having quote fun and I was having fun. I was having a lot of fun, but, and I had a great friends, but I was really hiding this very secret destructive life. And I would almost, yeah, I would get blackout drunk on the weekend, sometimes on the weekdays, uh, really had no scope of responsibility. <laughs> I mean, in, in college yeah. and I would, I would binge, I would, it, really allowed me to normalize my eating disorder behaviors a lot more when I was drunk and looking back it's yeah it was sad I mean I was I don't know I don't know what I would say to somebody who is in college and they love to drink and party I guess I would say it's probably not the best time to be kind of drunk on a daily basis or weekly basis or whatever I mean never on a daily basis that would be too much but (laughs) it's just a lot yeah yeah, definitely. No, I, I, I hear that. And I think, you know, I remember times too, where I would almost, I think I would use the alcohol as an excuse to make myself throw up. Right. Or I would drink mm-hmm. more alcohol to induce the vomiting, which like, obviously deep down, it was to get rid of the food that I had eaten, you know, earlier or, or I was going to eat when I got home. Like it was just, it was very, yeah, very dark and, and destructive. Like you said, Um, and I think now it's interesting and I've talked, actually talked about this like a few days ago on my feed. Like, I just think I have this really complicated relationship with alcohol now that I haven't figured out because on one hand, I kind of feel like it's this black and white, you know, spectrum where, or not spectrum, it should be a spectrum, but it's very black and white where people Mm -hmm. are either, you know, sober and they're like, oh, I've had issues with alcohol in the past, or I'm like sober curious, you know, or it's like people who are just party animals. They're like, I have no issue with it. I love it. I love my wine. You know, I love going out. And I kind of find myself in between where it's like, 
I don't really like, I enjoy, you know, I went out to dinner this past weekend and it was like, I, it was so hot outside and on the East coast now. And like, <laughs> it's so nice at night. It's, it's warm, but I was like, Ooh, a nice, you know, ice cold, like spicy margarita sounds so good. And it was just, I had one, I was really enjoying my company. And like that to me, I feel like is the essence of why I do enjoy drinking. But at the same time, I feel like I don't know. Sometimes I'll, I'll drink because of peer pressure still, which it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 28. You would think peer pressure doesn't exist, but it's like, I feel awkward going out with people and everyone else is drinking. And they kind of look at me like, why aren't you drinking? And it's like, I don't really have a reason, but it's like, I just don't feel like it. So I don't know. I'm kind of working on that because of past experiences with it. And then also just, you know, I don't know, just kind of tapping into my it- intuition around like intuitive drinking and, you know, I love that. I I absolutely love that because I'm with you. I am currently really, I've never been, I like how you said sober curious. I've never heard that before. That's, that's kind of where I'm at right now, but it's like, I don't really want to be like, I enjoy drinking, you know, the occasional glass. And if I'm on vacation, like we go to this trip to Tahoe every year with like a bunch of our friends and everyone on the boat day drinking all day long. And it's like in that situation, I would feel like I'm restricting myself. So it's really right. a, a balancing like where, you know, where do I want to be with this? So I'm totally with you. I've never talked to anyone about this, honestly. I mean, not this is a secret or anything, but I just feel like it's my own stuff. And I really respect and value people. And I want to learn from people like you who can have a margarita at dinner. And it's not like, this isn't with the intention of, drinking as much as the people around me and being drunk. This is the intention of enjoying a margarita. Cool. If I feel a little bit tipsy from it, great. If I don't, great. You know, it's like, whatever, it doesn't matter. I love that. Exactly. Yeah. The restriction piece. That's so interesting. You said that I sort of had a little epiphany when you said that, because I've, yeah, that's sort of what I'm trying to put a finger on is like, you know, labeling myself as sober feels restrictive to me, right? It's like putting that label on it. It almost is like putting myself in a box that I've worked so hard to like (laughs) break free from and get to a place of like intuition. Um, And yeah, but then at the same time, it's also like honoring that intuition when it tells you like, well, I don't really, you know, want to drink, but everyone else is day drinking on a boat. Like I, I totally get both sides. I think that when we recover from eating disorders, or any sort of mental health issue that did put us into a box. I think personality wise, we can do that with stuff, you know, like, Oh, am I an alcoholic? Because I want to have a drink. You know, it's like very black and white. I mean, maybe not everyone, but for me, I'm like, Oh, I kind of put myself in boxes naturally. So yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you with this whole drinking thing right now. I'm not really drinking much because of my gut healing journey that I'm on. And it, it, wrecks my digestive system to pieces. Totally. So I try and avoid it when I can, as far as that goes, but yeah, intuitively I'm with you. Cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. And, um, I wanted to ask you, you are the founder of granola butter. It's amazing. Everyone needs to grab a jar and I think you sell at whole foods, right. And maybe at some other stores too. Yeah, remember. we're at Whole Yeah, Whole Foods. We have a store locator on our site. Um, okay, cool. So yeah, we, oh, we're in easy. a bunch of yeah. <laughs> or Am- Amazon is probably okay. Easiest. Great, that's great. So it's amazing, and I want to know what it's like having a business with your history and just with everything that's a food product. Like, what was that like for you 
starting a product? Just walk me through it. Totally. Yeah, no, that's, it's such an interesting question. And it's actually one that I don't think I've really gotten before, but it's one that I've thought about because my product, like just for anyone who hasn't tried it, it's sort of the love child. This is how I describe it. (laughs) Like the love child between like a nut butter and granola. So it's, it is nut free, but it has the texture of a nut butter. Um, needless to say, it is very delicious, very addicting. Um, obviously I'm biased, but I would just say like objectively, it's sort of a, a palatable food. Right. And so I remember in the early days of formulating it, I was still, you know, very fresh in my recovery and I would binge on it nonstop. Like it was my biggest trigger food. And it, it's so interesting. And it really, I feel like it really proves the point of, and I, I would love to talk about trigger foods eventually too, because I feel like um, everyone has different perspectives on them. But, you know, for me, I was, I was restricting so heavily during that time. And I felt like granola butter was something that, you know, it wasn't, it was still new to me, right? It was this new idea. It wasn't like today where it is surrounded by it literally and Mm -hmm. (laughs) figuratively. Um, And so it was this kind of new shiny object. And I found myself yeah, binging on it. And then I would, you know, I wouldn't want to keep it in the house, even though we're like, testing different recipes and variations. And it really impeded, you know, the early stages of formulating our product and what it is today, which is crazy. Um, and then it was so interesting because as I, you know, continued to have it around more and eat more of it, it's like, you know, the magic suddenly started to dissipate and I just didn't crave it as much anymore. And it became sort of just like not as exciting and not as sexy and, um, not as magical and mysterious to me. So um, it just showed me, and it was sort of a, an early indicator during my recovery that the, the foods that I really put on this pedestal and I, I, you know, treat them as off limits. They're really, it's all a, kind of a, a mentality around that. Right. So it's like the more I can just, you know, not create these good versus bad foods, then the more I can just enjoy them all equally. And then it's not like I'm binging and restricting them. Um, you know, like I used to. So it's really interesting because my journey with granola butter has, you know, it's been kind of a tumultuous one, especially in the beginning. Um, but now obviously, you know, I, I go through phases where it's like, it's like any food that you sort of like eat too much of. And you're like, okay, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of this for a little bit. And then I come back around. Usually for me, it's actually like when we launch a new flavor, I'm like, Ooh, like it sparks my excitement again. Um, but yeah, I think having a food company, it's been, you know, just imperative that I have a healthy relationship with food. And I, I think it's not only just a food company, I think any business, if you're, you know, looking to start your own business, or even if you work a nine to five, but you're really looking to excel in your career, you know, I think it's important to have that headspace cleared up so you can focus on, you know, the task at hand or, you know, being the best you can at work. Because I, could not, like there's 0% chance I could have started this company had I been in that mindset when I was struggling with food. I just wouldn't have had the mental capacity. Like, you know, 99% of my thoughts back then were focused on food and what I was going to eat and how much I just ate. And, you know, today it's like, I can't even imagine losing 1% of my headspace. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like every, every ounce of brain power is just, I'm focused on the business and for better or for worse, you know, and I think about that a lot. I'm like, maybe I just shifted my focus, you know, from food to now I'm a workaholic. So I don't think, I don't want to glamorize that either. Um, but I think just to give you a sense, you know, we are constantly testing new flavors. We make everything in house 
for people listening that don't know. So we are not only a, you know, the marketing side of our business, but we also are a food manufacturer. And so my co-founder Ari, who's our head of R and D, he is always bringing me, you know, literally I'll be at my desk at my computer and he just like is constantly handing me spoonfuls of different (laughs) things that he's trying. And I just can't imagine having a negative relationship with food and doing that because it would just stress me out too much. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's, I'm just thinking about the calories and you know, how much I'm eating. And it's so cool that I've gotten to this place. And I don't say this to brag, but just to give people hope because, you know, I never thought (laughs) that I could get here. Truly. I thought I was in such a dark hole. Um, but like now it's like, he brings me a spoonful and it's like, you know, it's not also, I don't have so much excitement for it because I feel like when I was struggling too, like food was the highlight of my day. It's interesting how my excitement and enjoyment around food has toned down a little bit as I've improved my relationship with food, but like, he'll bring me stuff and I'll just be like, okay, you know, like, that's good. I'll give him feedback, but it's not like this big deal, right? It's Mm -hmm. not the focal point. Um, so yeah, I think, I mean, again, like obviously food, having a food business, it's different, but I think any business, as I mentioned, like it's so so much, I, I couldn't have done it if I didn't improve my relationship with food. Mm, thank you for your honesty. Like that's just badass that you were like, yes, let me just like tell you how it really was. Cause that's honestly going to change people's lives. And it's, it's absolutely not bragging, you know, telling your story because people really need to hear that. And it sounds like to me, it sounds like your, you starting your company uh, was actually really healing for you. It sounds like totally. it was like a really healing part of your journey. And it sounds like you allowed yourself to uh, eat the foods and you, uh, you know, maybe you binge sometimes, maybe you didn't, but regardless, you were able to be present and you were able to like go into it with curiosity and just grace for yourself. And that sounds like that was so healing for you so that it just became food to you and it didn't become this shiny object, like you mentioned. And I think people who are very compulsive with food, uh, it, there's something deeper that needs to be addressed. It's, it's never the food, right? It's our compulsion. It's something that we are using to mask our feelings or we're not, you know, it's something that's comforting to us or something that was comforting to us at some point and it's become a default. So that sounds really cool that you we're able to heal during that time. And I think that can go for n- not just people who start, start a food business, but you can apply that to other people's lives as well. And in so many ways. And totally. I love, yeah, I love that you um, mentioned the brain space thing. I'm all about that. I talk about that all the time. And once you realize how often once you realize how much food really controlled your mind and your brain, well, which it should, if you're not eating enough food, if you're not nourishing your body, our bodies want to survive. So it's good that your brain is doing that. That means it wants to be alive. You, you, your life is valuable enough that you, your brain and your body are like, you need to eat dude. Yeah. You know, so that's good. But, uh, once you nourish yourself and listen to those cues, that's when you're able to actually live your life and live out your fullest potential. And start an amazing business that you, you know, maybe never thought was possible or like me, I'm going to school. I'm in school. And I started a podcast, like all these things that just blossomed up around me. Once I was able to let go of those eating disorder thoughts that were just 100% of my brain, I wasn't able to love people. Right. I wasn't able to love myself. I just wasn't able to be in the world. 
So thank you for sharing. Totally. Of course. Yeah. No. And what you said about it being healing, like I think anyone listening, you don't, again, you don't have to, like you said, you don't have to start a business, but I think part of that healing journey was like you said, it's so much deeper than food. And for me, I think it was my issues with food really, obviously they started in high school, but they really reached their peak in college. And I think number one, I just had so much free time on my hands to think about it and not to say that you should just be, you know, busy all the time. But, um, number two, I wasn't fulfilled. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. It created a false sense of control for me. And so I think part of my recovery was not just focusing on the food aspect. That was definitely important, but actually seeing a traditional therapist, you know, to work on other issues, um, you know, like anxiety and fulfillment and just self-worth, um, things that didn't even, you would, not even think they're connected to food. Right. But like when I started to address those, then the compulsions with food started to fall away. And then I think the fulfillment piece comes actually from, you know, starting a business and really working on something. And maybe it was just, you know, redirecting again, not saying this is healthier, but maybe it was redirecting sort of that compulsion of like working towards a lower weight and sort of rechanneling it into like working on growing my business for better or for worse. So, um, sort of having that, you know, journey that I was really looking on and that self-improvement journey, but just channeling it in a slightly different way. Yeah. It's definitely important to have other interests and other passions and hobbies and things outside of recovery when it comes to like food, like that's an imperative part of the journey. I don't know, learn piano, buy a dog. Right. There's so many things that (laughs) I think everyone should buy a dog or a cat, (laughs) but there's there's so many things that you can try out that will help you achieve goals that are not related to your eating disorder, which is super healthy. So yeah, that's, that's really important. And I also want to, I want to touch on the whole like self-worth and fulfillment thing, because I really think that our society has made it so that we don't believe that we are innately worth anything unless we show the world or ourselves that we are. And I just want to remind everyone, obviously this is very easy to say and not easy to necessarily feel and believe, but just you living life on earth is innately means you're worthy of being here and you don't have to prove anything to anyone. So if you are in recovery or if you are just struggling with a time of your life right now where you don't feel fulfilled, I think um, it's really important to just sit and be still as well as also maybe pursuing other things, but sit in the stillness and really, you can really work on how can I start to really feel like my life is valuable because it is, you know, whether that means, like you said, getting a therapist is a great option. I think everyone needs therapy (laughs) too. (laughs) And, or just working with people or just journaling, you know, about, or affirmations about why your life is worthy because it really is. Um, So yeah. Anyways, that was a thing to say, but I just love that. It's hard. Society's like society is, so work, 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 work. And it, and I get it. It's so easy to want to do that. And it's fun. You know, a lot of people really love working. I love working. It's fun to be busy and it's fulfilling, but there's a line that you have to draw for yourself and there's a balance. Yeah. That was the biggest thing I started working on when I first started, you know, really diving into therapy, which sounds so, well, I don't want to say it's like, crazy because I'm sure other people also struggle with this. But for me, it, it, it felt so illogical. I 
had the, I have still have the hardest time relaxing. And it goes back to my childhood because I remember growing up, you know, both of my parents were triathletes. They were always like Saturday morning. It's like, you know, I would think most kids are like watching cartoons, waking up Mm -hmm. slow. And I remember my parents were like, we're going on a bike ride. And I distinctly remember my parents being gone and I'm home alone and I'm like watching cartoons or, you know, TV or something. And I hear the garage door open and I immediately scramble to look like like I'm doing something to look like I'm busy because I felt that anxiety around relaxing. And, you know, again, it was never anything that they directly said to me. Right. But it was just that sort of, I picked up on it. Um, and that's, it's crazy that, you know, things from your childhood continue to this day, because it's like, I, you know, Saturday or Sunday, my boyfriend, Eric, like he loves like his favorite, he loves soccer. He'll wake up any hour of the day to watch soccer. And like, he'll spend, I remember this past Sunday, he spent pretty much all day on the couch. I don't think he moved. I'm not, not saying that's also healthy, but like he like did not move from the couch because there was a huge like soccer tournament on. And that is like my nightmare. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like if I am not doing something or, you know, doing the dishes or going for a walk, like I have to have every second planned. And so the first thing that that's what I started working on with my therapist, because it's like, you know, to most people, they just look forward to the weekend and relax. And then I had so much anxiety around it. So Anyways, yes, for anyone listening that also struggles with that, you're not alone, but also like, yeah, just, you know, laying on the couch all day, like that is, you're so worthy doing Mm -hmm. that as well. I know I I came home yesterday, Rio, my husband, he uh, was like, I'm going to go to the gym. I like went to yoga and he was like, I'm going to go to the gym. So I might not be here when you get back. I was like, cool. And I went to yoga and I came back and he usually takes like longer than I do just because he like has to drive to the gym. It's farther, whatever. And he was home. And he didn't look like he went to the gym. I was like, oh, you got back from the gym already? And he was like, no, I didn't go. And it just like, even that, it's like, I have to look at him and be like, that's healing for me. Like, thank you for saying that. Because you know what I mean? It's like, I just like assume that he's going to go to the gym and he's fine. He didn't go to the gym and he's fine. And I'm like, great. That's great. Thank you for not going. (laughs) Exactly. I love that so much. And he didn't make it mean anything. He didn't change what he was eating that you know what I mean it's yeah, like it's just, I love yeah, watching I love that partners I love having a partner who's an intuitive eater it's so inspiring so I'm it happy is. that you have Eric is his name yeah yeah I oh, love Eric your post is- about him that that one of his hairstyles cracks me up also <laughs> I just bleached Rio's hair yeah um, I don't post pictures of him a lot I should do it more but uh, I also bleached his hair. I think I've bleached it three times now and in 2020 that was when I did I, I buzzed it and bleached it wow he wanted me to actually did yours did yours want you him to as well yeah 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 yeah. he's like okay sure I'll bleach it he's like this really hurts my scalp I'm like yeah because I'm literally rubbing bleach into your shaved head like it can't be good for you yeah yeah also Eric's hair is like almost jet black and so he bleached it the first time and it didn't it it was like a medium orange and I was like this is not gonna work so then I went to my girlfriend who's a professional hairstylist and she was like oh you need a toner you need whatever Mm. like here's a heavy duty bleach and his hair was like it was like cotton candy it was like dead because I had then had to bleach it again poor guy and he was like he's like it feels like my scalp is on fire I was like you wanted this I didn't know like I don't know what to tell you Yeah, (laughs) that's funny yeah I understand that's so hilarious why I don't know why a lot of guys are wanting their hair bleached but cool sure yeah (laughs) gotta go we're like in CVS and like the hair dissection I'm like do you want this beautiful woman's hair or this beautiful woman's hair (laughs) he's like that one 
<laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I also love your mom. Side note. She's amazing. Oh, yes. Oh, Leslie. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Make me want to like, I don't live. I mean, I guess you don't live by your family now either, but my family's all the way in Michigan. So oh. I don't get to see them too much. Yeah. But uh, when I do, I know the I'm feeling like, Mommy. <laughs> I know. I know. Same. Yeah. There's something. It's just so funny too. And I, I would love to hear your I guess I'm not supposed to interview you no, right you now. Interview me. Okay. I would love to hear. Yeah. Like I'd love to hear your thoughts too on going home. Cause I've noticed like, I really, I feel like I revert like all of my issues with food sort of stemmed from obviously when I was in high school. And so, you know, when I go back home sometimes, like now I feel like so much, so much better I've worked through it, but there were, there was a time when I would go home and it was like, I felt myself, mm. you know, being brought back to the kind of reverting to my old ways just from being in that environment. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so we develop our core values and our core beliefs really in childhood. I mean, that's like what it is. And then throughout our teenage and adult years, we, we hang on to them, but we make them into, you know, our adult versions of those things. I, I would say most of the time until our world gets shaken and we have to change our core beliefs. And then we're like, Oh my gosh, this is so scary. which is what we're all trying to do here as adults. Like, okay, what do I need to let go of from my childhood that happened when I was five? It's like, okay, it's a big deal. But yeah, I mean, environment plays a big role in just our sensory world and how we perceive, you know, food in our body and our lives. So I, I understand exactly. Yeah. I don't necessarily feel like I have like eating disorder behaviors when I go home. Although I would say I used to, like when I would go home, I almost felt like I was even more quote out of control. I didn't have like any self-control. Um, not because my family triggered me. Maybe they did a little bit, but I, I know my family was like yours. They never said anything or made me feel bad about anything. I also, I also grew up an athlete. I was a competitive gymnast and cheerleader. So I also oh, had wow. the yes really cute <laughs> uniforms that were yeah like slutty, like my slutty childhood right. girl. That's, I know, I that's know. not, I wasn't slutty, but you know, it, it's shocking when I look back at pictures of me, I'm like, first of all, I had fake hair. You had right. to wear fake hair and like the crazy eyeshadow. And it was such a performance thing. So yeah, yeah that's yeah. Like, I think where a lot of my stuff stems from. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's pretty normal. I think the best things that I was able to do when I go home to not sort of go back into my old ways was I just had to really work through therapy and through my own internal work outside of being at my house, um, like mentally moving out of my parents' house. Cause I think a lot of times we physically yeah. move out of our parents' house when we're like 18, 19, 20, whatever, but mentally we don't really have that distinction and we kind of carry these things with us. So I honestly think it's more so just about like forgiving your parents and understanding that they did their best and just realizing that they have their own lives and they're not just your parents. They're also just people. Yeah. Um, That's, those are things I had to do. Forgiveness of them, moving out mentally of my house, really realizing that I had my own life. They have their own lives. Of course, they're my parents and I love them so much, but I am. I, I am half them, half my mom, half my dad. So I'm always going to be connected to them. And that's a beautiful thing. Kind of seeing that as a beautiful thing and seeing how can I, I don't know, repair some of that trauma 
in my own mm-hmm. life and feeling strong in that way. I don't know if that answers your question. That was kind yeah. Of- no, no, I love that so much. I think, I mean, and it's so shocking, right? And so jarring when you come to that realization. I feel like everyone comes to that realization at different points, but when your parents just become people and mm-hmm. you're like, you're not this like superhuman, you know, special I know, being you're like, you're, who, you don't know like, everything. Is never wrong. <laughs> I know, I know. So that was a big one. Also, I think generationally, like, are, I don't know. I mean, obviously, can't speak for all parents, but I've definitely noticed a, a difference in just sort of mentality around body image and food. Like mm-hmm. my parents are very, very fat phobic. And I think a lot of their, you know, like, and I've had to really kind of retrain them and not in like a condescending way, because like you said, they're doing their best with what they knew, but like, I go home and I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like, I'm like, mom, you can't say that. Like, you know, just like a lot of it, you know, with the exercise and I, and kind of looking back to growing up, I was like, wow, maybe they did, you know, say things that triggered me that I didn't really think of at the time. I thought it was just natural, but like, you know, them being triathletes, like always exercising, it was always sort of like, you know, oh, I have to go for a run to like burn off, you know, X, Y, Z, like that kind of messaging. Um, and just my mom always talking very down on her own body, which obviously kind of then mm-hmm. translate. Mm-hmm. I picked up on that because I'm like, you're the most beautiful creature I've ever seen. Like, how can you talk negatively about the way that you look? Right. Like always just being like, Oh, like I can't wear a bathing suit. My stomach looks so fat. And it's just like, I'm just literally soaking that in. And, and I'm just like, Oh, I guess that's how you're supposed to talk about your body. Mm-hmm. So those sort of little messages too, were you know, growing up, you kind of don't think anything of them. And then looking back, you're like, Oh, that was very problematic. <laughs> yeah. But they were, it's, yeah, it's, it's super problematic. And of course you look up to your, typically we look up to our moms, whether they were amazing moms or whether they weren't, it doesn't matter as children. We look up to our moms as being people we want to be like, you know, our parents are people that we're, we're going to be like. And, um, so it makes sense. And I, my mom too, she, she, uh, she was just doing what all the other, not all the others, but most of the other, you know, moms and dads were doing, and they were buying the slim fast and the, you know, diet culture foods. And a part of, I mean, it's so ingrained. There's so much to it. It's not like they were just making the wrong decision, but at that time, for example, you know, the American heart association was like the whole food pyramid was totally different. And the American heart association was like obesity equals heart disease equals death. So eat low fat foods. So we had tons of low fat foods, you know, they were just trying to avoid death because that's yeah, what the death. media was portraying. Like you can't eat, you can't eat eggs because they're high cholesterol and high cholesterol is going to make you die. That was like ultimately what was being fed to people Yeah, literally and phys- uh, figuratively. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's just really, it's really interesting when you just unpack how deep diet culture goes, it's generational. Totally. It is. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I did want to talk about body image, which you already talked about a little bit, but you talked more about the food side of it, but you are open about body image and exercise and all that stuff. So on Instagram, so can you talk me through some actionable things that you did to help you heal your relationship with your body image? Mm, Yes. Um, I mean, the first one I did touch on this is just talking to someone, seeing a therapist. And if, if it's not a professional, you know, 
a friend, a close relative, you know, someone who will listen, um, the barista at Starbucks, no, someone who, you know, <laughs> knows you. And, um, and I think I really struggled with that because I never felt like I wanted to burden someone else with my problems. I was always very much of a people pleaser growing up, which I'm, you know, currently working on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of felt like, and I was also, again, like very type a perfectionistic. So I was like, Oh, I can figure this out. You know, I don't need anyone else's help. Um, but what something that really helped me with that frame of mind was realizing, you know, if one of my best friends came to me or if my mom came to me and was like, Hey, I'm really struggling with something like, can you just, you know, you don't have to have the answer. Just, I, you know, need someone to kind of vent to, or I just need an ear to listen. Like, of course you would be like, yes, like, tell me what's going on. And so why, why don't we think that about ourselves? Right? Like, why don't we allow our to share that with others who love us and want to, and want to support us. So that was really helpful because I felt like that was a really big barrier for me in just sort of starting to open up. Um, and then once you start to open up, like it is, I mean, for me, it was like the floodgates just open. It was like, because I think the hardest part with body image and food issues is it's such a burden, especially when you're holding it inside and you're trying to be secretive about it. And, you know, it's such a heavy burden to carry for so long and it can really weigh you down down. And so, you know, once you start to share that with others, it's like, you can't stop, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and it feels good. It feels good because, you know, you're finally getting that off your chest. So that would be the first thing is just finding someone. And I think a therapist is ideal. And I know there's a lot of awesome options actually now that do like sliding scale and, you know, are more financially accessible, especially with COVID, a lot of virtual things have popped up, um, which is cool or group therapy. Um, And I think that's really impactful because, if you're working with someone who's, you know, a professional and who's trained on that, they'll know the right questions to ask. They'll know how to support you where I feel like sometimes, you know, obviously talking to a friend or a loved one is great, but I sort of stopped doing that because especially with like my family and my mom, I felt like she was kind of starting to feel guilty about Mm -hmm. what I was sharing with her because I mentioned a lot of it did come from childhood and sort of the messaging that they had instilled in me. And so I sort of, I felt like talking with someone who was objective and a third party was, you know, just the best for me. Um, I would say the second thing is just buying clothes that fit. I think for so long, and I know this is sort of like, seems basic, but for so long, I held on to clothing that didn't fit me out of this, like in the future, maybe one day, like I'll get back to my, you know, whatever size it was. And that's just number one, it's mentally, you know, it's like, you're, you're stopping yourself from progressing in recovery because you're subconsciously sort of holding on to like, I will get back here one day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then number two, it's just, you know, I, I think emotionally it's really cathartic and really freeing to get rid of those those clothes. And I know everyone's sort of in different boats financially. Um, but when I donated like all of the clothes <laughs> that didn't fit me anymore, it was just this, it felt like it was a blank slate. And I was like, Oh yes. And then you buy clothes that actually fit you. And you're like, wow, I feel amazing. You know, instead of like trying to fit into clothes that didn't fit me. So that's sort of just like a logical or a practical tip. Um, I would say, and then the last thing is I love this idea of body neutrality. I know that, you know, this whole idea on social media and stuff has really, I feel like kind of blown out of proportion into like, love your body every single day, no matter what it looks like. And I think that's an awesome message, but for me, it felt almost like it wasn't really super accessible um, and attainable, especially at the beginning when like all I was doing was just talking shit about my body. So really sort of getting to this place of body neutrality, which basically just means like 
your body is not good or bad, right? Like it carries you from point A to point B. It's sort of a vehicle for life. Um, you know, bag of skin, meat suit, like whatever you want to call it. (laughs) And, um, and that was really helpful for me because it kind of took the, um, the attention away from my body. Cause I feel like sometimes, you know, when you're so focused on loving your body, it almost, for me, it brought too much attention and, and focused my attention on my body. So that was really helpful. Um, and then I would say the last thing, <laughs> sorry, I have a lot of tips, but I would say the last thing it. is just, um, starting to notice the things that you're saying to yourself. So meditation helped me a lot with that and really separating your thoughts from, from the truth, from facts, because everything you think isn't factual, isn't based in reality. And oftentimes it's hard to really, you know, discern that and, 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 you know, separate those two, because like when I would look in the mirror, it would be like, oh, my thighs are fat. And I would immediately be like, that's a fact. Like my thighs are fat when in reality, you know, I mean, I don't know what your definition of fat is, but like they weren't. And, you know, my thighs were beautiful. And, and I just, I don't know, like when I would think something immediately, it was like, oh, that's the truth. So when I started meditating and really slowing my brain down and just starting to become more aware of my thoughts, I could at least, you know, remove myself from them and be like, okay, I just had this thought that, you know, my thighs are ugly or, you know, I, I look, you know, I look fat in this, whatever. And at least I can pause and be like, okay, that's a thought. And I can either choose to follow that and spiral downward and let that ruin my day. Or I can just be like, you know, this thought isn't serving me. I'm going to go with a different thought. And I know it sounds kind of woo-woo and it sounds kind of annoying to hear it, but like even just becoming more aware of the stuff you're saying to yourself was so helpful for me because, you know, you start to hear the things that you're saying and you're like, oh my God, I would never say this to my worst enemy. Like I was so cruel and those were just playing on repeat all day long. No, No wonder I was having body image and confidence issues. So I would say those are a few of my, of my tips. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, I have many more, but those are probably the top ones. <laughs> I love, thank you so much for sharing. I love the idea of body neutrality and just like, well, I love all your tips are great, especially buying the clothes that I, again, I agree with you hundred percent. So freeing, amazing. Trust me. There are comfortable jeans in the world. I'm like, jeans aren't comfortable, but I was like, Oh, I was buying two sizes yeah. too small. Makes sense. Right. Anyways. Uh, but And the idea of body neutrality, I think is really, it's really good because sometimes in recovery, I couldn't really bear to like, look at myself in the mirror and be like, oh yeah, I love my stomach. I'm like, ha ha. That's literally the biggest lie I've ever heard in my life. So practically, like, I'm just not really going to observe my stomach. I'm just going to be like, I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to think about it. It's my stomach and it is what it is. And, um, so thank you for sharing all those amazing tips. Totally. Yeah. Thank you for all of your amazing work on social media and in the stores now. I, yes. Like I said, I'm obsessed with granola butter. I think my favorite flavor is blueberry. Oh, yeah. Which is surprising because that's like, what? I, I don't know. I didn't yeah. think that would be. I thought it would for sure be vanilla, but I was like, blueberry. This is really good. It's so good. Don't sleep on blueberry. Blueberry is like a <laughs> high key, real good. I know the fruity ones are good. Also in during Thanksgiving, we have an apple pie, which is just, I don't know if you tried it last Thanksgiving, oh, but if no. not mark your calendars, I will get like, I mean, we get messages weekly from people that are like, are you going to bring back apple pie? Like they're waiting for it. <gasps> it sounds so good. good. I'm sure it has like a cinnamon yeah. flavor. It's probably so yeah. good. Do you have anything yeah, else exciting? coming out? Um, I mean, I guess the rebrand, like, I don't know when this is coming out, but we're rebranding. 
July. I say June. Oh my God. I can't believe it's July. It's still um, June. <laughs> I know July 13th. Barely. Um, other than that, um, yeah, we have some flavor, new flavors in the pipeline, which I'm super excited about going to stay hush hush on those, but we're always coming out with, you know, new fun flavors. So mm-hmm. stay tuned. We're excited about it. That's great. Well, I'll have this podcast out after your rebrand. So I'll be okay. sure. Yay. And- <laughs> say the right name because that would be confusing. Perfect. That's exciting. I'm yes, happy for you. Yes. And um, congratulations on all your thank success. You. you deserve it. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thanks for yeah. having me.